You're listening to What She Said with Candace Sampson, a podcast for Canadian women about Canadian women. A mansplaining free zone, What She Said is here to empower, educate, and entertain you. My next guest's career trajectory started by sorting records for DJs, and before she knew it, she was slaying the radio star on Much Music when it burst onto the scene in 1984. She quickly became a household name for countless Canadians like myself, and in the world of media, she's donned multiple hats, from television to songwriting for greats like Van Morrison to stage musicals for kids and books. And if you're a modern Canadian mom, you're probably very familiar with the digital magic of YMC. In today's discussion, we touch on the power of knowing one's worth, the curious tale of hiring a man to lead an all-female business, leadership lessons that stand the test of time, and the evolving world of influencer marketing. Not to mention the ever-growing importance of using our voices on social platforms. Throughout the show, we share laughs and quite unintentionally on my part, but also not surprising to me at all, some tears. If someone had told 14-year-old me that one day I'd call this icon a dear friend, I wouldn't have believed them. But my life is richer because she's in it, and so I'm very, very proud to share this podcast with you. Meet Erica M. So Erica, this I have to tell you, this is going to be the weirdest podcast I've probably ever recorded because you're a friend, and I, I feel weird interviewing you. Is that normal? You're you're a classic interview. You've interviewed people all over the place. So does did you ever have that? No, I think it's amazing because when you and I met, it was through YMC and we were like mom to mom. Yeah. We were colleagues. And I, there's another part of, I guess, our relationship or experience where I'm the girl you used to watch on TV when you were a kid and probably never thought that you would be working with me at, you know, some future date. So I think it's super cool, actually, because we've never had this conversation before. We really haven't. And I thought, I know so much about you just through osmosis. But it's never been sort of a formal discussion like we're about to sort of have. So it's it's a weird space to be in, but I'm I'm happy to be having it with you. So, so let's just start then with sort of your career in, you know, overview. <laughs> and it's a big one. You, you've done just about everything, um, you know, from being one of the first VJs at Much Music, successful entrepreneur at uh, Yummy Mummy Club. So well, how about you just walk us through that journey, sort of the abbreviated version? Okay, well, I think what's interesting about my journey is that I've managed to take what I love to do and turn it into a career something that I hope that my kids are able to do as well. You know, do what you love and then you never work a day in your life. And I think that my life has really been like that. It started when I was 16, when I got a job at the local radio station in Montreal at Shom FM. I was the music librarian. I didn't get paid, but I got access to all the DJs and the bands and free tickets and albums. And it was a great experience. And so, and from there, I worked at radios, uh, I worked at record stores, I worked at A&A and Sam the Record Man at the same time. I managed artists. Um, I worked when I went to Ottawa University, I worked at um, Records on Wheels. So I've always sort of found a way to make a living in the space that I love. I moved to Toronto to work at the New Music Show, which was um, a, a show on City TV that was the most progressive music show, I think, in the world. I was answering the phones. I worked my way up. And while I was there, I also worked part-time at the local cable company on camera. When Much Music launched three years later, I made a demo tape. I showed it to J.D. Roberts, who was one of the stars of Much Music, and he said, that's terrible. And he did another demo wow. tape. Wow! <laughs> another demo <laughs> tape with me, and uh, the, they hired me. So I worked at Much Music for ten years on camera, three years behind the scenes. So thirteen years um, in its entirety. I left because I kind of grew up. 
and the thrill of interviewing bands, it was kind of gone. I, right. you know, I was in my 30s at that point, and I, this idea of artists having always something brilliant to say wasn't true. And, you know, all this excitement that I initially had about bands, they, a lot of them had, were just sort of average people uh, with guitars in their hands. And so I, anyway, I wanted to move on. So I did, uh, I had my own talk show on Life Network called Real Life with Erica M, which I did for two years. Um, Because you're kind of in this industry now, Candice, you, I can tell you that I did 180 shows each year. Wow. And each show had four guests. It was five days a week. It was mm-hmm. it was a huge undertaking. And I learned so much doing that show. Um, and then it was over. Did it for two years. Um, and then I met my husband, got knocked up, <laughs> <laughs> and a whole new life began. And that's where you and I met. I started to get involved in the world of parenting because that's where my new interest lay. And I became the editor of a, a small magazine called What's Up Kids. And then I came up with the concept of a TV series called Yummy Mummy. I sold the concept. It was bought by Life Network and Discovery Health US. And uh, we shot that for two years. And it was a precursor to what I built right after that, when the show finished running, I started a little website called yummymummyclub.ca, which was an online website that gave women a safe space to, you know, have a voice about their opinions and their journey of motherhood. And that's where I met you. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, um, I did a, a Twitter call out and said, hey, I'm coming to Ottawa. Does anyone, anyone want to uh, meet up? And you and two other people showed up, and we have been fast friends since then. And that was, what, 15 years ago? I want to say, yeah, like, when did Twitter start? 2009, 2010? Yeah, it was probably 2009. Yeah, yeah so it's yeah, 14 years crazy. Ago. Yeah, that's just, that's crazy to me to think about that. And Twitter was fun then, unlike its current uh, state. Yeah. <laughs> Not such a fun was, place to well, be. Interestingly enough, Twitter was how I met the majority of the people that I hired. And when YMC was at its heyday, we had at least 50 writers who worked for us, wrote for us um, yep. on an ongoing basis not to mention a staff of women who all worked from home running the infrastructure of YMC and all of the branded content that we produce. We had a quite a large team of amazing women and a couple of guys. And yep. uh, that was really an, an amazing experience. It was like a uh, life-changing for me. Uh, my, my, me included, by the way, uh, you know, that whole experience, uh, I learned so much uh, just from being involved in in YMC about the digital space and about, you know, um, well, actually about working with women. I mean, it was such a strong group and everybody just got along. It was really wonderful. It was just really one of the best uh, work experiences I've ever had. Thank you. And I, you know, I pride myself on that. Um, and I'll tell you why. When I worked at Much Music, it was an incredible experience for many reasons. So much so that I'm doing a keynote now about what you can learn about innovation through Much Music in the 80s. Because what Much Music in the 80s did, there are so many lessons that are transferable today for companies and individuals um, that, and one of the things is how to how to build community, um, how to build innovation internally. Um, diversity was a big one, and I, I like to tell the story about how much music really was cutting edge, and the benefits to companies by following what much music did. So anyway, I have this very long and um, entertaining keynote that I'd like to to give, which talks a lot about the good and the bad about 
working at Much Music, and there were some things that were actually terrible. And um, one of the things for me was I was told that I was replaceable. Hmm. And I knew that was actually a lie. Because no one can replace me. They can get another on-air person, but no one will ever replace me. They can't. And that is the beauty of being authentic and carving out your unique space because the person that they replaced me with or tried to was this fantastic woman called Sukin Lee. And she looked nothing like me. Her vibe was nothing like me. Her interests in music were nothing like mine. And so she filled a spot, but she didn't fill my spot. And I, I think right. it's a really interesting lesson for people to learn, um, both as employers on how to treat people who work for you so that they don't want to quit. Because right now, people are bleeding employees and what I learned at Much Music is both what to do to keep people and also what not to do. Um, I, I actually had a very ex interesting experience when um, I went and I asked for a raise. I think I was, I think I'd been on air for four years and I was, according to the mail that came in, and those were real letters because we didn't really use the internet at that time. I had the most mail from anybody and I found out that I was being paid substantially less than the men. Shocking, right? Mm. So I went to the uh, the vice president and I asked him for a raise. And his response was, I hear you're very difficult to work with. And I was like, what? what? Well, it's interesting because you have been working with me for 15 years. So you know that I'm yeah. the opposite. And I went, what? And uh, yeah, he said, yeah. Yeah, I heard that you're very difficult to work with. And so I said to him, hmm, fuck off. I quit. <laughs> Excellent. And I didn't answer my phone for like five days. I didn't show up for my shifts because I was like, don't you dare do that to me. My dad told me it's the oldest management trick in the book is to make you feel bad about yourself. Guess what, buddy? It didn't work. Because I knew that I was really good at my job and worked really hard. Right. So um, that's one of the many stories that I share in that keynote and the ancillary effect of what happened after I quit. I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to book me for a keynote to find the answer. <laughs> All right. I I kind of know what happened. We may have discussed this over wine, but I won't share here. All right. So I, here's what I think is going to surprise people. You know, you're on much music. You're in everybody's. You're on everybody's TV. You you start a a, a digital uh, website. You know, you're you're out there all the time. I think people will be surprised to hear you're an introvert. Yeah, and you're not. Oh my God, no! I am like the most <laughs> extroverted. I am the most extroverted extrovert. Like I think I did one of those Myers Briggs tests, and I think I was ninety eight percent extroverted. Yeah, but I'm probably I probably like thirty four percent. Um, extroverted, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know it's it's a weird thing. Um, I'm very comfortable being quiet. I'm very comfortable listening, which is probably why I love interviewing so much because I don't have to talk. Right. I just have to follow my curiosity and then ask the questions that I want to hear the answers to and then listen very intently to the answers because a lot of interviewers don't listen. So- because they're extroverts, I guess, and they're just waiting to speak. They want to say something. But interviewing is really about listening, asking the right questions and listening. Um, and yeah, I'm very, I'm very comfortable not being the center of attention. And that's kind of like when I launched Yummy Mummy Club, it was an incredible thing for me because I got to use my notoriety to build this platform to get access to um, eyeballs and the media, but I found all these gems like you who were very comfortable being out and, um, you know, be, having a strong voice. And so I was able to really sit back and like a proud mother, watch 
all these amazing female storytellers just own the space. So I didn't have to speak a lot. I was very comfortable being around a lot of gregarious, talented women. I don't need to be the center of attention. I just like to be the one pulling the strings. What does it do to you, though, like physically, spiritually, you know, to be in this space and be an introvert? For me, for example, as an extrovert, it fills me up. I, you know, I'm on a high when I can be around people. Does it exhaust you? Going to parties with a lot of people is my least favorite thing. Small talk just does not jive with me. But the the idea of sitting with you mm-hmm. or anybody and having a one-on-one conversation for three hours does not exhaust me. It lights me up. So I just like to communicate one-on-one. And most of what I do is one-on-one. Or I like to be on stage because I I get lit up by teaching and connecting, entertaining and connecting. So when I do my keynotes, when I'm on stage, I'm looking in people's eyes. I can tell when they're engaged. I can tell when the light goes on. And so they again, it's not about me being on stage. It's me affecting some the way someone thinks. Um, I think is really powerful. So that lights me up. It's just being in a loud room with, you know, all these conversations and everybody fighting, you know, for the, for space. I'll just walk away. And, and, and here's something else I think is going to surprise people. You're a songwriter, but not just like a hobby songwriter. You're a wildly successful songwriter. So when you left Much Music you focused on your songwriting career. So how did this shift shape your career and sort of influence your your approach to the creative process? Well, it was life-changing. I had met my friend Tim Thorny, who was at the time just a friend of mine. And um, through a series of events, like me quitting my job on Much Music, he said, can you write a song? And I was like, I don't know. So I went over to his place and we started to write and he was like, Emmy, you're pretty good at this. And we ended up partnering partnering for a decade. We wrote around 300 songs. We started a record label. We started um, a little publishing company. Um, We produced, I think, six or seven albums together. And what it did is it, it allowed me to better understand the experience of being an artist, even though I can't sing. So I was behind the scenes. I still was part of the creative process. Before, when I was on Much Music, I was asking people about what the process was like. Once I was part of the process, I was able to ask perhaps a little more insightful questions because I was part of the, the world of artists and part of the world of of interviewers. So it just gave me a better understanding and more skills. And I would say that one of the highlights of my life, I don't know if you know this, but I hosted the pre-show at the Junos one year. And one of the prizes or that I had to give away was for best Canadian country vocalist. And my album and artist won. So my artist, Cassandra Vasek, came on stage and I gave her the Juno from the album that I wrote for her. So that was... And you did not... Did you know when you were presenting that this was happening or did you know when you... I'm assuming did, there was an envelope opened or... Oh, no, no. Like you just, you have to do it. Like you don't see it before. So I knew that I was... That I had to present... Nominated. I knew that she was nominated and I knew that yeah. that was one of the categories that I would be presenting in. And when she won, it was like, oh my God, I'm hosting the Junos, pre-show Junos and giving out an award for music that I created. What a, what a special time that was. Did you feel like there was like this push pull on that, on that award? Did you want to keep it? <laughs> keep you it. wrote the song. I have a copy of, I have one, one of them as well. Sorry, you can't have this. It's mine. Uh, that's well, amazing. And you also... It was, it was, what a thrill for all of us. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. And you also wrote a song for Van Morrison. Well, that actually was a song that Cassandra had uh, recorded. And he, she had opened for him on one of his shows in Toronto. And he heard the song. And so he took that song and put it into a medley of his. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I forgot about that. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. With things I dig up on you. You're yeah. surprised, aren't you? <laughs> I'm so boring. It's all about, well, you definitely you accomplished this. You did that, but no dirt. <laughs> so, all right, let's go back to the Yummy Mommy Club then. Okay. Because you, you move into this space and what did that space mean to you personally? And there were some challenges at the end. And what did that mean? So um, I'm going to start at the beginning. So what YMC meant to me was for the first time, I get kind of emotional. Hmm. For the first (laughs) time, I met people like you. I didn't really fit into the music business because I'm not a, uh, I don't drink, I don't party. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't like to be an asshole. I like to read a book. I'm an introvert. I'm, I am very moved by art and creativity, but I was never part of the, you know, the rock and roll scene, man, you know, that I, I didn't want to go to clubs and everybody was drunk and it's like, here I am. All right. And I was like, you know, back off, dude. And when I had my kids, um, I was very, I was lost because I'm type A. I've always worked. And I I didn't know a lot of women because I worked really in a man's world. And so what, when I started YMC, it was purely selfish. I just wanted to make friends. Like I just, oh, I get emotional. And you did though. Think I, about how, and, and I did. You're going to make me emotional. It was incredible. Like we... I think we changed the lives of so many women and I have friends that are like you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I made Erica, I made Erica cry. (laughs) Yeah. It's not hard. Uh, It's true. (laughs) You probably planned it. You knew exactly what would. (laughs) Anyway, you can get um, me back another time. It was, it was, um, much music was was a great time in my life. YMC was more meaningful to me personally. Um, mm. And also the fact that we together built something monumental. Like think about it, Candice. We won awards and we beat out mainstream media. And we were a know, bunch crazy. of moms working from our homes way before there was Zoom, way before it was okay to hear children screaming in the background of business calls. We did something so powerful together. And I say we because I was the the cheerleader, but I could never have done that myself. And everybody worked way too hard, right? And we didn't do it for a lot of money, but we did it because we knew that there was purpose. We were making a point that women or moms are not invisible, that we have a very strong voice and we're actually fucking smart and don't underestimate the power of a woman with a kid to get things done. So it was, that's why I get emotional because we, we were very successful business-wise And we were also, as you mentioned earlier, we were very successful in terms of creating a community of women who supported women. And now YMC is much smaller and everybody has gone their own way, like you building this beautiful community. But here we are, we're still deeply connected. And I know you are deeply connected with so many of the other YMC women like we are bonded. It's, we went through something yeah. really special. And, um, uh, and when it, it, I, it, how do I sort of segue into, I hired a man 
And that's where it all went south. (laughs) When my mom was uh, dying of cancer and my daughter was going through a lot of um, mental issues as a teenager, I couldn't, the company was making a million and a half and it was too big for me. It, and I felt really out of control. And so I hired a man to take over the business for me and just report mm-hmm. back every week. He um, changed a lot of the staff and brought in some new people. I see you smiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm biting my biting my tongue. <laughs> And I, I didn't agree with a lot of the things that he did. However, I do believe as a leader, if you hire somebody, you need to give them a chance and you need to let them do what they need to do in order to get their job done. Mm-hmm. And within three years, he had bankrupted my company. That's the short story. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he... Um, very graciously agreed to quit so I didn't have to fire him. And uh, I was basically uh, fucked. (laughs) And I called you. I called you. And I said, Candace, basically I'm fucked. And you said, how can I help? And so... Because that's what we do. That's what we do. Hey, listen, when my... I want to just pause you for a second because you did the same for me. When my world fell apart in my divorce, you're the first person there. Mm-hmm. You rushed in. You you made it public. You were like, no fucking way is this happening to my friend. Because, And I remember your words because you said, we've been caged up for two years and we're fucking angry. So... <laughs> Because <laughs> this is just after the pandemic. And you, and you, you said, we are going to do something with this. And I thought... I believe you. <laughs> and we did. We did. Absolutely. Yeah, we got the yeah. bank I mean, to, yeah. uh, to stay its, um, it, its uh, closure on your To house. give me some time to think. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the power of so, women getting together again. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of people only know me through much music. Well, much music didn't have that. Although I did have some good girlfriends that I made at much. Natalie Richard being probably mm-hmm. a favorite person there. But there was a woman named Joni Daniels who worked there. And she and I were like our own little shit disturbing team. Um, with Joni, she and I produced shows that nobody wanted to touch. Like I came up with an idea for a show called Fashion Notes, which would be interviewing street uh, fashion designers because I felt like music and fashion were so interconnected. And I always like to wear really sort of street clothes. And so the owners of YMs of uh, Much Music, they let me do it. And so Joni and I were like a little team. And then we started a show called Indie Street, where we interviewed really alternative bands or independent bands. She would sort of produce it. I would host it. We do it together. And then I started a show called Between the Covers, which was a book show where I interviewed all the stars that came into Much Music and even the ones who came into City TV, like baseball players. I would ask them what book they're reading and um, and to explain the book. And then I put together a photocopied book reading list and I would manually mail out the, the book list to anybody who wanted something to read. They would have all like, you know, Nirvana, pick this book, et cetera, et cetera. So, and that was Joni and I. Um, so that's again power of women, and and your love of books continues. You have a book club. Yes, it's uh, okay. My my daughter is will be twenty in December, and our book club started when she was two weeks old. So my book club has been going for almost twenty years, and it's not my book club. It's a book club that I joined. Um, when it was just starting. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're extraordinary women in a variety of ways. And we all like to read. And so we do read the book. We talk about the book. And everybody who hosts their night 
um, puts on some sort of thought into the evening. They either do like themed food or um, sometimes they, we bring people in to speak or um, I don't know, there's a variety of things that we do. So uh, I'm doing um, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow in a few weeks, everyone is coming up to my cottage for book club and they don't know this. So I hope nobody listens from my book club, but the theme that we're going to do is we're going to play games because tomorrow and tomorrow is about video games. Well, we're going to play um, board games and charades and stuff like that. So you answered my next question, which was going to be, what are you reading right now? So you're reading tomorrow and tomorrow. And who is that by? Um, I can't remember what her name is, but what an extraordinary book. I, 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 I loved it so much. And I'm also reading another book, which is called The Uglies. Well, it's a trilogy, The Uglies, The Pretties, and I'm not sure what the third one is called. And it's YA. And it's a dystopian novel about a future where when kids turn, teenagers turn 16, they're given an operation to make them look pretty. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, they also at the same time um, get something put into their brain that also makes them dumb and passive. It's fantastic. I'm loving it. My, my daughter read it first and because she enjoyed it. I'm reading it now. What's your favorite book of all time? Could you pick one? Uh, I think the books reflect different eras in my life. One of my favorites was um, The Stone Diaries, Carol Shields' book. Um, there was a line in it, which I think kind of changed my life. Uh, she said, Daisy Stone, let life live her. And I vowed when I read that book to make sure that I lived life on my own terms. And there was a really powerful passage. It was almost two pages long, and it was a list of all the things Daisy Stone never did in her life, like skydiving. Um, I don't even, I don't remember, but I remember weeping when I saw that list Um because it reminded me, you know, to to take on new experiences and don't, and don't have a, a a long list when you're dead. Yeah, make that list really short. I know that you do that. Yeah, I well, I mean, I generally look well, leap before I look. <laughs> Typically, just maybe not the best way to do things, but it has been. It's brought me some amazing experiences, like working with you, which was I'd never written anything in my life. I know. I know. When we first met, and I thought you were really cool because you were you were running tools for schools, yeah. And you, so you were you were an entrepreneur, and so I said, "Hey, do you want to write the business column for YMC?" And you're like, "I've never written anything. I oh, you'll be great." Well, I didn't know how great you were. I you were, didn't know I could write. I mean, I'd written like basically for my diary. That'd be about it. <laughs> yeah. So I can tell. I have a, that's my, well, you know that. That's my superpower is I attract amazing people and I discard crappy ones really quickly. I can tell. And, and I just, the good ones, I just never let go. <laughs> Yeah, you t you said that to me once too. You're like uh you're like a stalker boyfriend. <laughs> you're always going to be around. So, let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about cuz I know that you you're you're very observant and you think deeply about things. So, let's look at talk about the digital space a little bit and how that mm -hmm. has changed and where do you think it's going? Because you know, we talked like we met on Twitter and that space was grassroots. It was fun. It was light. It was a really great place to connect, but it's obviously it's morphed into something just horrible. And now we have all these different platforms. Where do you think this goes for us as a society? So I don't know. I know that me and you and many other people don't want to be on our digital apparatus to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I think COVID, I think, had a big part to do with it because not only are we disappointed with you know the, the big media companies and you know and all the um algorithms and you know the polarization that it's bringing out in people, which is all dangerous and 
sad at the same time. Um, I think that we're all craving real life interactions. And I remember when we all first met on Twitter, we would have tweet ups and we would all mm-hmm. sit in the room together and we would tweet. We wouldn't talk. Do you remember that? Our, all yep. of our heads were down, but we were together in the same room. So it was great. Yep. And then I think it was like about five years ago, we all stopped doing that, didn't we? Yeah. We all started to say, what are we doing? We need to be present. And so all of all of us who work in the digital media space stopped posting when we were around other people. We made a conscious decision to really live in the moment. And I think it probably has something to do with the fact that many of us had teens at that point. And so we are seeing behavior that we didn't like from our teenagers or were worried about and saw it reflecting back to us that we were doing the same kind of things. So here's what I think. Someone just mentioned it today, actually, to me, that they're noticing that the younger kids right now, is that Gen Z? Gen Z, yeah. They are rejecting a lot of this, like, Twitter and Instagram, they use it in, they use it sparingly. I'm noticing my daughter barely posts on Instagram. And she also has been saying, I just want to be with my friends. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I don't know if, I don't know what will be next. I don't know what will replace it. But I do feel that the younger generation who grew up on this are craving something different. And they're the ones who are going to be inventing the next wave of things. And when I mean inventing, they also might be inventing more in-person opportunities and require more in-person opportunities. So I don't know, because I'm I'm sort of looking and watching, but I, for example, I jumped on thread on threads. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I signed up for an account, but I haven't posted yet because, oh my God, how many platforms can I be on? It's exhausting. Yeah. And and you feel it like you, you become a slave to it. it when you work yes. in this field, you become a slave to it. And that's what I hate about it. Yes. And it's because... There are so many people who are fighting to be heard and will do just about anything to be heard and seen and make money. I'm not, I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't want to yell to be seen. So mm-hmm. like, for example, on Instagram, I don't even have, I think I have maybe like 10,000 followers, which is ironic because in the real world, I'm really quite well known as as a personality, but I don't have a lot of people who follow me on Instagram and I won't play the game. I won't wear weird clothes. I won't do contests. I won't cry. Well, like I just did here on your freaking podcast. (laughs) I won't, you know, I won't be dramatic. It's that's not my personality. Right. So I'm just me. Yeah. And if you're interested in just me for like a pretty normal woman with who has occasionally brilliant things to say, then you'll follow me. But it doesn't matter. Like numbers don't mean much to me. And I feel like I think that I'm and I think you would agree that we kind of invented the concept of influencer when we um when much music oh, sorry keep on mixing up much music and YMC because they're both such powerful times in my life. But YMC was mine. I invented it. And when we started to work with brands, I had come up with this concept of connecting, like we had built a very strong audience and connection with moms. And a lot of moms from across the country really believed in what we were saying because we what we said made a lot of sense. We were very influential. And 
all these brands were coming to me and saying, hey, we'll give you a broom if you write about us. And I'm like, dude, that won't pay my mortgage. Yep. And I'd say the famous line that I shared with everybody, which was, what's your budget? And they're like, wait, what? That's right, dude, pay to play. And so we came up with all these um, opportunities for us to create content in partnership with brands, but it had to be accurate, authentic, true for both parties. And I launched a, a marketing agency called M&Co, which um, became very successful because I was working with amazing women who understood how to have integrity and tell the brand story at the same time. Um, and what was interesting is everybody, all the moms wanted to be part of YMC, but like I had 50 people who were writing for us. I didn't have room for anymore. And so we started the YMC community, which were other amazing women who all had their own websites and Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts, and we would hire them to amplify our content mm -hmm. or to create content based on the brand that we were working with. And that was way before there was anything called influencer marketing. We invented it. We created an influencer network. We had at one time 500 families yeah. who had signed up to partner with YMC. And um, I think the whole influencer business also has really um, imploded mm -hmm. uh, because so many people tried to game the system and, you know, getting fake followers or creating really terrible content and pretending to be influential, but they're not. I'm influential. I'm actually influential because I have... I, I am consistent with who I am. If I say I like something, people know. Mm -hmm. You can't buy me. No. It's because I actually like something. I mean, you can pay me to be a brand ambassador. Right. But like Dove did. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was so proud to be part of. And I know you also love the brand, yeah. love what it stands for. Yeah. Pay me for sure. But I have my integrity remains consistent by working with brands like Dove, for example. I don't work with a lot of brands anymore mm -hmm. um, because I only have 10,000 Instagram followers, which is, it's just so funny and ironic and it speaks to a broken system. And you know, it's funny, the lessons I learned from YMC I carry with me today in what I do with what she said. And you know, I could fill my show every week with paid uh, content, but I don't. Because I want to bring good content to people. I want to bring good stories and share and make a difference. And so it matters to me. I mean, I've, I mean, I won't, I won't even joke with you. I've, I've literally kept it alive during the pandemic on my retirement savings. Um, because it meant more to me to tell a story about a woman who was struggling and how she got out of it than to share some crappy special on pizza and make it into a six minute interview, right? Like I could do that. But I wouldn't have an audience and I nobody would trust me. And that, my friend, is what you and I have in common, which is we understand that your audience comes first. Mm -hmm. If your audience is not entertained, if your audience doesn't trust you, you have nothing. And the brands do not understand that. And when they ask to create branded content that reeks of bullshit they're shooting themselves in their own foot. Mm -hmm. And that's why I won't do it. And you won't do it because it, it serves no one. Was it Sharon that said more story, less hoary? That would, that would sound like her. <laughs> I say that. All, I say that all the time. We do not have to whore ourselves out for this. No. And when we create and still do, because we're still doing YMC is still alive. Like I sold it to Toys R Us and thanks to you helping me get it back on its feet. And we're still doing branded content and it's still good. Um, we just do less of it these right. days, um, but it's still good. And I think um, Ashley McKinnis, she's going to do some stuff for us because she's pregnant again. Yeah. And she's so, gorgeous. Like, and just gorgeous. 
and gorgeous and pregnant. Like, I mean, you know, and the nicest, one of the nicest people you ever meet. So, yeah. And she creates great content. She really does. Yep. She really understands, you know, how to tell a story that is true. Yeah. So, yeah. And we, we need more That's Ashley's. Gorgeous. We need more Ashley's yeah. in the world for sure. Yeah. So let's yes. let's wrap this up then. What are you what are you working what? on now? What are you working now and what are you doing next or what do you want to do next? So uh well I'm running YMC. Um and I I do that on a part-time basis because I have the team from Toys R Us that are helping as well. So I don't have to spend that much time um doing it. It's a different it's a, it's a different it's in a different place right now. Um, I'm in a really interesting space right now where I'm doing a fair amount of keynotes, which makes me really happy. Um, I speak a lot to women's groups or I speak to entrepreneurs. Um, those are like my two sweet spots, uh, to motivate, inspire, educate, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, I am now in that space where you're open to opportunities. Like I feel like my, call it my third act is, you know, in it's somewhere just around the corner. I don't want to start another business myself. I want someone to say, I want you to join my company in some way and help us grow. That would be sort of a dream for me, but I don't know. I don't know what it is yet. So I'm, you know, the, the fact that you asked me, thank you for asking, because I put it out there to the universe and people who are listening, um, that I'm kind of fierce. So if you want me to work for you, be pe- be prepared for a very fierce, focused person. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> if they want a reference, I'll give it. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you don't micromanage. I have to say that you don't micromanage. I mean, I worked almost a decade with you. You never micromanaged me. It was always just give me the job and you just trusted it would be done. Because it's disrespectful. Who wants to be micromanaged? Right. If you pick the right people and give them the right instructions and back away. They'll do incredible. That's what I was saying earlier. Like Sharon uh, Develis, who still works for me, I don't ever talk to her. Like I literally never talk to her. Not because I don't like to like her, but I don't need to. Right? She's she's handled. She knows what to do. And every once in a while, I'll check in and she'll go, "Yeah, yeah, all's good." <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> but that is that's what leadership is. And that's why I love speaking about leadership because I think I know, I know some secrets about leadership that many people don't. And it really comes down to understanding human nature and treating people in the way they need to be treated and also finding the right people for the job. And leaders need to give very specific instructions. And I don't think enough people do that. So you need to be clear. It's like when we ask our clients to give us a brief. That brief has to be good because we're going to go away and create something based on what you're asking us to do. Right. And when we come back and they say, no, that's not good. We'll go, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is the brief you told us. And we did meet all those objectives in the brief. And I think leadership is the same. When you work with people, you have to be very candid about what the expectations are. For me, I don't care what anybody works I don't care where you work from. I have certain things that need to be delivered in a certain way at a certain time. Do it. And then it and and then often things were like that's 85% of the way there. Can you change this 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 and this? Great. Sure, no problem. Good. Yeah. Yeah, Who I mean you want to bounce like that. Exactly. Well, that's why I'm basically unemployable right now because um, I worked for you. (laughs) That's why I have to be self-employed for the rest of my life because nobody would ever be such a good boss Um, and a friend. 
So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy that you joined me for this. This was a long time coming. So thank you for mm-hmm. sitting down with me uh, for this well, podcast. Thanks for making me cry. Fuck. Well, you know, whenever I get the opportunity to do so, I yeah. like to. You really know how to, <laughs> did you know I was going to, tell me, did you know I was going to cry? I didn't, did but know? as soon as you started to cry, I thought, oh, that's on brand. <laughs> because you do you do cry uh so yeah that was on bridge so whenever uh, we'd have our big ymc meetings with the 50 people i would inevitably cry when i was thanking everybody for the year yeah absolutely yeah yeah that made me laugh so uh thank you for joining me so where can people you know do you want them to go to your website do you want them to well not twitter so where can they connect with you on social Well, I actually don't mind Twitter. And I'll I'll tell you something interesting. Amber Mack, a while ago, we were chatting and I was telling her that, you know, I'm not really happy with Twitter and I'm sort of pulling away. And she said, Erica, do not do that. That's what they want Mm -hmm. is they want women and they want progressive people to leave. She said, you need to use your voice now more than ever. So I'm staying there. So yes, you can find me on Twitter. I may not answer on threads. Sorry. Uh, LinkedIn would, is always a good place if it's sort of a, uh, sort of a corporate, some sort of a business opportunity. That would be a good place. And then I have a website, uh, which has not been updated for a little while, but whatever. It's still there. EricM.com. Shocking. I know. All right. Excellent. Okay. We'll have you back again someday, I'm sure. And um, you're sitting in my happy place right now recording this. So I will, I will come see you there soon as well. Yes, the cottage is the best. If you liked today's episode, please take a moment to share it with others. Also, be sure to subscribe to What She Said Talk with Candace Sampson on your favorite podcast provider. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, don't miss What She Said on the radio weekly in Toronto, Ottawa, and Surrey. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.